like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast that's been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you might be listening from today, I want to say thank you. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're traveling on the bus, you might be walking on the treadmill, maybe you're out walking the dog or you're pulling the weeds out or you're traveling in your car. Welcome aboard. My name is Paul Joy and it's my delight to share with you today another conversation with a yog, a Yarra old grammarian. And today, get to chat with a colleague, not a colleague working in the same school space as I here at Yarra Valley Grammar, but a colleague nonetheless, also a, an educational leader, Cameron Agars, the school principal of a relatively um, small primary school in Melbourne from the class of 1990. And this conversation is rich with thoughtfulness, reflection, wisdom, and the thoughts of a man who has had some trials and challenges in life, some of which he's had to step up and step into a new role without necessarily being ready, without necessarily choosing, but having to step in on behalf of his family. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation and it is part of a growing library of conversations here on the Inspired by Yarra podcast that you can access via your podcast player, subscribe, and that way you'll never miss another episode. And of course, we'd love you to share it, to link it to others who might be of the same era, who would understand some of the references and stories along the way. Cameron Agar is from the class of 1990, and I'm going to begin our conversation today by asking him at what year, what year level did he begin at Yarra, and what are the early memories of school uniform? Yeah, well, I started in 1983, so that's a while ago now. Um, the recollections I have were very clear, and I had this one memory when I was thinking, and that is the bright cherry red blazer um, going back into the 80s, and those of uh, my year will remember the cherry red blazer. Um, but I didn't have to wear that. I actually had the black. So my vivid memory is the cherry red blazer. Wow, yes. And and there's not too many of them around these days. So students of today, they all wear a black blazer. There are some still cherry red jumpers floating around. Yep. But you, there was a blazer in your day, a red blazer. Yeah, it was. It was a, a cherry red. Um, and it was always interesting because I was in Arnott House. I remember that with being the burgundy colour. So it was, um, yeah, the, the cherry red stood out. Wow. And and can you t- can you remember at what year level or who, who had to wear the cherry red? From memory, it was junior school. So coming in at year seven um, from a local primary school, you sort of go from a relatively small school to a big one. And, um, yeah, it was, it was different. It was a completely different world, but loved every minute of it nonetheless. Fantastic. And, and as you would well know, coming in at year seven, your – one of many, but you're the new kid on the block. The the previous or the, the those who have come up from junior school, they know their way around a little bit. They know the lay of the land. When you arrived, did you quickly form friends? Did you come with a handful of others? What was those early, early days like? Yeah, I came across with one other friend. So I had that little um, thing in place, which was good. But yeah, look, I mean, one of the things about Yarra was great. There were so many opportunities to meet new people. Um, and there was one person in particular I remember, and I think I remember because of his name, we became mates for a while there, uh, it was Richard Hadley, and I think it actually had more to do with the cricket than the name, but uh, I remember him, he was in 7B with me, and um, yeah, so there was a, a few friends, but very quickly you got familiar, um, and I loved my sport, so I became familiar with the basketball courts and the, the footy fields, and as most Year 7 boys did, we just kicked a footy and started hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, was Richard any good at cricket? Can't remember. I can remember long, almost dreadlock blonde hair, but I uh, can't remember if he could actually bowl. 
<laughs> so when it comes to cricket, and, and you've mentioned that you were, you know, you enjoyed sport in general, uh, were you a batter or a bowler? Did you get to spend much time out playing the game here at Yarra and for Yarra? Uh, in year seven, I did. I, at that point, loved my athletics and my basketball as well. So, you know, like anything of a 12, 13-year-old, you, you pretty much play whatever you can. Yes. Um, played some of the Saturday sport. I might have, maybe I got promoted to the seconds at one point. But uh, more cricket was for fun. But, yeah, basketball and track and field were the, the two areas I pretty much followed all the way through. Very good. And so that continued as you as you went up. Tell us a little of your memories of Saturday sport. Was that something that you really looked forward to getting up early or maybe you were in the, you know, quickly got into the higher teams and so your games were maybe a little later on a Saturday? I loved my sport. I can't understand why mum and dad didn't appreciate getting up at six o'clock to head out to uh, Ivanhoe or Mentone, um, but I loved it. Certainly some of the memories I have is 8.30 games, Albert, the old Albert Park Basketball Stadium on a cold, wintry Saturday morning. Um, but yeah, they loved every minute, the track and field, and it didn't matter where we went. Um, I certainly remember playing basketball at St Kevin's and they had an old concrete floor. So that's a, another memory I have. It wasn't great if you fell over. But uh, yeah, heading out, Mentone, Ivanhoe, all the schools, Southern my sport was great. So I loved it. Fantastic. And and there's a lot to be said for the value of team sport and uh, and and. I guess now in your current role, understanding schools and, and young people and bringing them together. But there are a lot of lessons of, of life that we can kind of glean from sports and metaphors. And, and, and as a teacher and now school principal, have you got any great stories? And, and maybe they were you in your glory days as a sportsman. Was there a, I don't know, the, the time after the siren when it was all up to you and all eyes were you and you had the, the foul shot? Or was there a moment where you, I don't know, maybe you uh, took a great mark or you, you know, all the eyes were on you and you came through? Or maybe the alternative? Uh, oh, there's possibly more alternatives than that, but... Um, I suppose thinking back on it, the the team sport, I mean, I loved my team sports and getting involved with with all of those things and just being part of, I suppose, an integral part of it, um, looking at the skills that you bring into any team um, and then how they complement the others. Um, I was, I suppose, relatively quick, but also stopped growing at about year eight or year nine. So um, as others grew past, you learn to, to work with what you've got. And I guess it's a metaphor from, from sport into school that, that finding your place and the role you play is just as valuable as, you know, as said, shooting that three-pointer on the buzzer or doing whatever. Um, there was one time, in, certainly in track and field, I remember doing you know, whether it be house sports and into school sports as well, um, ran a couple of quick times and made a few um, district levels and things like that. But for me, it was just playing the role. Even in track and field, I was a, a sprinter. I ran the 100 and the 200 and the 400, but... It was about just being that role within that group um, and being, a, I suppose, a cog in the wheel of, of Yarra being so successful. And you know, even after I left, you know, checking the sports results as, as how Yarra was going and you know, taking a keen interest in, um, or being at Mentone now, beating Mentone Grammar was always nice. Um, but yeah, no, it, was, it was great just to be a cog in a very successful wheel of, yes. of Yarra sport. That's great. And and would we, if we looked closely enough, would we see your name in the record books anywhere? Is your name on a shield somewhere? I'm not asking whether you've scribed it yourself somewhere, but <laughs> would we find your name around the place in the record books? Maybe for a short amount of time, but there's one person I do remember, and I was always second to a person called Nick Rodder, and he was a store gift runner, so I didn't have any chance of getting close to him. <laughs> But I did crack the 11-second mark once, very wind-assisted down the 100-metre sprint track. Um, but, yeah, always came second to a guy that then went on to run in the stall gift. So if a claim to fame is coming second to a good runner, I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll probably cop that because, um, as you say, you know, with that sort of form and that sort of career ahead of him, he's, uh, he's going to be tough to beat. Even, uh, even, even into a headwind, he'd be still tough to beat. Exactly right, but uh, no, as a, the, the sport in general at Yarra was great, and whether it be lunchtimes or Saturday mornings, um, loved it. Tell me a little bit then about your experience of in the classroom. Was there a particular area of school life outside of the sporting arena where you did flourish? Was it science, maths? Was it uh, maybe the performing arts? Did you fancy yourself in the home ec area, or was it uh, maybe writing an English novel? 
Um, all through, I suppose, year seven, eight, nine, in that early stages when you're doing everything, was never a massive fan of, um, of, of sitting down and writing, but I loved debating, talking, public speaking, which was interesting because for most people, public speaking was something mm-hmm. they would uh, fear away from. That was probably the one thing, one area then I, you know, I hated your literacies type, um, your poetries, that type of thing. But give me a debate or give me an opportunity to stand up in front of people and, and talk or present. And I really enjoyed that. Um, most of my career moving after that and then moving into university was around the sciences. So out of Yarra, I just sort of went on and did you know, anatomy, physiology, biological sciences. Um, just loved all of the, the biologies and, um, and that sort of stuff. So from a literacy point of view, as I said, loved public speaking. Um, and in my role now, I have to do a lot of it. So, um, so that was great. And then moving off into the sciences was yeah, where I headed. And, and maybe in those former or the later years of secondary school, your year 10, year 11, you're starting to perhaps get a bit of an idea of where you might head. And by the sounds of it, science is an area that you wanted to explore. When you left school, did you have a pathway in mind? Did you have a career in mind? Interesting question, and that's probably where um, it's, I suppose, my path has taken me to here because it was always in the sciences. Um, at one point, I was, you know, being in a, the physical sciences, physiotherapies, that sort of area. Um, because I love my sport, it kind of intertwined. But part of the journey from about year nine onwards, um, I started working in disability services. Um, my brother, younger brother, was in a car accident. And so I did a lot of volunteer work through disability services. Yeah. And I thought at that point, this was something I did because I enjoyed it. But whether it was a career or not, I don't know. And sitting back now, and I look back at, I suppose, the journey coming out of year 12, I was still in that idea of wanting to get into, into a physiotherapy. So I went and did biological sciences, but I still had a vision of getting back into a, a sports field. But I'd continued working with um, a number of different um, acquired brain injury organisations, physiotherapists. And as I went on, I realised maybe that you know, that wasn't the field I wanted to go in into. And so I did a num- number of other areas of study because I just I knew I wanted to help people and be involved with people and being in the, the people's fear of being able to do something. I just wanted to be able to make a difference. And so moving sort of through that, I kept, with that in mind, I suppose I changed the direction but kept that one intrinsic goal of trying to do whatever I could to help what was at that point a small group of people. And then as you do that, you realise that that can grow into a larger larger opportunity. So through working with in disability services, um, I actually became an integration aide working with a little boy in prep, little autistic boy, and had nothing to do with the biological sciences course I just finished, but I just loved being able to make a difference and help him in school. And I thought, you know, maybe you know, going back and becoming a teacher and working in that field, it still had onto that value that I had of being able to help people and really make a difference. Um, I'd done a lot of work with, with families, so not just the kids, but then with their families as well. And so I thought, you know, becoming a teacher might actually give me a chance to, I suppose, reach a broader audience and make a difference in, um, in a greater, um, greater area. So I went back and retrained after a couple of years at uni and, um, yeah, became a primary school teacher. And I think at that point, working with little kids, I found I still had that idea about being able to help people, but it wasn't in the mode I'd originally thought. So coming out of year 12, you've got your idea, this is what I want to do, and this is where I see myself at 30. Well, I was at my um, you know, third career by the time I was 30, and that was in primary school teaching. But it's just, it's exactly where I want to be, and I've been there now for, as I said, 20 years, just gone over. And um, whilst I still hold on to that theory that I can, I'm, I'm helping people, um, I've also got the other side as well. So I've got here, I've got you know, 200 families, I've got 250 kids, that I'm helping, but it was nothing like I pictured coming out of Yarra, mm. but I still made sure I kept that um, that idea of being able to be involved and help people. I, I really appreciate the reflection that you've you've done and, and the journey you've taken us on there. And it's a beautiful motivation in life, purpose in life really, where your mission is you want to help. And if that's your purpose, if that's your mission, the career or the way you do that is flexible. That's that's 
and your evidence of it can change. It can, and and none is more significant or more important than the other. But the driving force is an endeavour, a desire to help, and and that's a beautiful uh, goal. That every day you wake up with the intent that you're going to help somebody. That's fantastic. Do you feel was there anything maybe in home life or school life that that gave you that sense? I appreciate your your brother having having an accident and so that opened you up to the need to try and help. But were there other foundational things that happened in your life or experiences that that maybe built that into you? There is, and I've reflected a lot on this, and I think I suppose the journey that I just mentioned, um, I said after I did the biological sciences degree, I started working um, in a few other areas, but reflecting back, my brother had his car accident, and then maybe 12 to 18 months later, um, my father died of a heart attack, and he was only 39. And I can still remember at that point, someone telling me, okay, you're the man of the house now, you've got to do A, B, and C. And I was 14. <laughs> so... It was a pretty big, 14 or 15. But at that point, I suppose, you start to think, well, you know, okay, I'm not the man of the house and I'm not going to be able to do this, this and this. But what can I do? You know, there's, a, I suppose, a, a semi-reliance on me to do certain things that is a bigger picture than just what I want to do as a typical 16, 17-year-old. So um, for me, that was really, really big. Um, I've always had a belief, but something that I saw in um, one of the homes I was at working with a little boy and his parents actually had the serenity prayer on their wall. And for me, that almost was one of those moments, I can still picture where I was when I saw it and thought, for me, it was, these are the cards I've been dealt, this is the situation I've got, and I've got choices. So now my choices are, what can I change? Um, what, what can I deal with and make the best of? And what do I need, how do I need to grow to know what is the difference between the two? So I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't bring my dad back. I couldn't bring my brother back but I could make choices to help other people or to do things from that. So it's something even now, I still still look at that and go, okay, here are the cards you dealt. Um, we, we all deserve to have a, a cry. We all deserve to have a why me. But then once you've done that, what are you gonna do with it? What can you change? What can you action? Um, and I tell my students this all the time. What can I action to make a change now that doesn't involve blaming someone else, that doesn't involve the why me? Um, and then moving forward. So for me, that really drove from about, as I said, 15 or 16 into now, okay, this is the path I've got, these are the cards I've been dealt, and this is what I'm gonna do with it. So that, that's, I suppose, what's got me to this point now. That's that's powerful. And I, I think that through even conversations like this and the people who'll be listening to this, they're, they're going for a run, they're on the bus, they're, um, maybe out weeding in the garden, they might be travelling in the car. Uh, I think conversations like this can continue to have an impact and continue to help people. And it may not be necessarily an area that we, we spend too long on, but I just want to go back for a moment. Your 14, 15-year-old Cameron and Dad's had a heart attack and that's going to obviously rock your world. That Like that just, there's, there's your life with dad and then from a long period of your life with without dad and at least physically being there. From a health perspective, are there any warning signs, hereditary things? I mean, he was only 39. You know, you and I, we're of the same era. We're, we're beyond 39 now. <laughs> yeah, just. <laughs> are, are there things that you have had to be aware of from a health message? Is there anything that you would say in your own experience that would be helpful for the men and the women who might be listening to this? Def, I think it's just recognising um, recognizing yourself, recognising the, the factors that you have that contribute to who you are. I still get um, you know, all of the regular health checks every 12 months just to tick off because, yeah, now I'm a dad. Um, yeah, I'm, I said a little bit past 39 now, close, closer to 49 than 39. But I've got two kids. And you look at those and you can't imagine, um, I suppose, doing things that jeopardizes your relationship with your own kids. And for me, that's huge. So, you know, I don't, you don't always want to make time to go to the doctors. You don't always want to make time to go and get the blood test, whatever you need to do. But you have to make time. You have to take an hour. You have to get up early. 
um, and do all of those things if you want to. You have to, you know, watch your weight. You have to do the little bit of exercise when you'd rather sit on the couch um, just, to, just to keep on top of those things and just being aware of them. And I think if you're aware of it, that's half the battle. For sure. And, and yes, I think that is half of it. Probably the harder half is actually doing something about it um, because you're right, you know, sitting in front of the telly is often easier than actually being out there on the sporting field um, to, to, to actually get your body moving and so forth. But now a, a number of times, and we might have taken it for granted that, um, that I know your role, but maybe our listeners don't know your role. Can you tell us a little bit about once you decided that teaching was your thing after spending some time in a classroom, not initially as a teacher, but and and then going back and, and learning, studying to be a teacher. Tell us a little bit of the career and why primary teaching in particular is an area where you found your sweet spot. As I said, I started off as an integration aide with a little boy who's autistic and he was in prep. So my first exposure to primary school coming back as a 28, 29 year old was in a prep classroom. And the classroom teacher had 25 kids in her class and she was just amazing. I, at that point I'm thinking, how do you control these, these kids running around? They're all new to school. The boy I was working with was a non-verbal autistic boy who had, all, had some challenges. But this teacher just calmly managed 25 kids doing whatever they wanted who'd never been to school. And so for me, that was, I suppose, what struck a chord. I then spoke with the principal of the school and said, you know, this is a path I'd like to do. So I had some experiences at other areas of the school, but it was all in the primary sector. So going back, you know, you, you can go in and you can play sport with the big kids and you can go and help the little kids and you can do you know, diff different levels. And as you said, for me, that was my sweet spot. I then did some, um, once I did training, I've been working for a couple of years. Um, I went and did some training up to sort of year seven, year eight, year nine. And I think that week in a year seven class made me realize primary school was where I wanted to be. <laughs> so um, it was probably a very normal, typical year seven class, but it also made me realize I loved my preps and my grade sixes and, and everything in between. So um, yeah, primary is, is exactly where. And I think what I'm finding now is too, Parents are, parents are so involved with their kids' lives in primary school and with secondary things just obviously change. But you know, I've got parents who, who just come in and they chat and they talk to me and I love that idea that we can just sit down and have a, have a conversation with a family out in the yard, in my office, in the staff room and just get to know the families, the kids, what are the issues um, and, and what can we do there. So we've done a number of things which have come out of a conversation that I've had with parents because their kids have just brought things up. So it's been yeah, really powerful. And for me, it's about being, I suppose, instantaneous. Being, it's, you come up with something, someone tells you something, you can action it and you can get a result relatively quickly. Um, being the principal, I don't have to follow all of the protocols. We just make sure we do what we do, we see a need and we deal with it. And we can do it relatively quickly as well in a primary school, which is great. So we're recording this as, as schools are just coming well, we've we've had a week or two of, of having everybody back, and and we're re-establishing how that looks and what that feels like, and 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 I'm referring to to COVID, and we've had some time away from school, trying to do online school, and and by the time people are listening to this, we'll probably have begun a new year, and that will look different to what it does now as well, probably. There's obviously you know so much unpredictability in the water. And yet, in the midst of all of this, you as a leader, a community leader, whether you know what you're doing or not, people are looking to the leader. And I just wonder if you might reflect for a moment on what you what you have learned yourself personally as a professional leader, as a community leader, as a leader of a family, as a leader of yourself through this time. And where are we heading? What's next? What are people going to be looking for, let's say, in six months' time? It's a really interesting question. It's something that we've spent a lot of time, and it's very easy as kids are coming back to deal with the acute issues, to deal with the things that are happening today, the things that we can see. And part of that is actually having things in place prior, so when the kids come back, we've got a lot of safety nets in place already, whether kids know it or not, and whether those things are necessary or not. 
So we actioned a number of things at our school. And I suppose for me, the number one priority I said to all of my staff, didn't matter their role in the school, was student wellbeing is number one, two, and three. Um, you know, normally in my role, we're looking at, at wellbeing and health. Um, and then you try combining that with curriculum and growth and progression and transitions and all of the things that happened this time of year. And I actually gave my staff permission to say, you know what, let's just have fun. These kids have been through a period of time that we'd never experienced and we're finding it difficult as 40 plus people. How's a seven-year-old dealing with something like this? How's a 10-year-old? But what we also had to look for was those kids that weren't necessarily showing the, the instantaneous signs. We've always got those kids that come out and you go, okay, there's something going on with little Billy because of A, B and C. But we, I've had chats with our school leaders who are yeah, highly academic, highly social kids, and they've talked about some of the stresses that they're feeling as well. And, and that's been really interesting for me to, to understand that not every child who exhibits these behaviours is your challenging child. It's the kids that um, maybe do their best to hide it because they've got a persona that they need to hold. They have a role in their family, they have a role in the school, and they can't be seen to be struggling. And what I've said to my staff is, we're all here. Our reporting and assessment is obviously vital. Our academic progress at kids is imperative. It's a core of what we do, but well-being envelops all of that. And if you don't get that right, then you can't expect your kids to progress in illiteracy in, in their numeracy. So we've had fun things. We've had dress-up days. We've had icy pole days. We've given away free icy poles. We've just done things where the kids go, wow, I'm not at school. I'm in this community of people that know where I am and know who I am. And for me, being in a primary school of over two, just over 200 kids, being here now nearly four years, I know just about every kid. So going out there and saying, oh, how was your, well, normally I'd be saying, how was your basketball on the weekend or how's footy, but can't do that now. But just talking to them about things that you know they do, um, things that they want to talk about is really strong developing that relationship. So when they say, I'm nervous about my math test next week, they can actually come in. I'm not the principal in the tie in the office that no one sees. There's someone you've talked about, their basketball or their calisthenics or their bike riding, and then you can open open some dialogue. And the thing, some of the things that we've been able to do as a school to provide safety nets for kids, as I said, we may never action them, but for us to know they're there for any kid who needs it um, is, is really key. And my staff are like, oh, wow, so I don't have to get my assessment done by Friday. And I'm like, well, no, not if, you're, if your kids are taking a path where they need some support or they just are, are struggling, do that because the assessment will be irrelevant if half of your kids aren't actually coping with some of the social and emotional things that are going on, the dynamics, the families. Um, it's been really sad to hear some of the stories of, um, of family disruptions, of job losses, of all of those um, that many we know about and some we don't. And how can we support all of those kids through that? So. Our staff at this point, our students at this point have been great. We've had Halloween dress-ups, we've had footy days, we've had icy pole days, and the kids are just coming back to feeling like, okay, this is the normal um, that they want. But the issue with now the work that we're working with is how do we move from our traditional school model, pre-COVID, of classrooms of 9 till 3.30, of learning blocks, into next year where our students have been at home. They've been using remote technologies, they've been using podcasts, they've been using a whole heap of different things. And then how do we continue to engage them next year with a learning model that is so 2019, but these kids, you know, as a percentage of their life, this is, you know, in some cases, 10 to 15% of their life, they've been learning from their bedroom. Um, and certainly I know my daughter, she put her jumper on and she did the best learning she'd done, but it was over her pajamas. Um, so that's the learning then. So moving forward into next year, we've already started um, investing in new ICT technologies, um, purchased 80 new laptops the other day, green screen technologies, giving the kids opportunities to take their learning in a different path, but one that I think will be so much more powerful for them because again, it's, it's their education. It's not for us to say, here's our school, fit in with the model we've got. Mm. Um, especially after the past six to 12 months, mm. as we move into next year, there's going to be a lot more, you know, we won't call it remote learning, but a lot more flexible learning um, and ways for our students to show that and then working with the secondary schools as we move as well. So I think it's exciting. We've done a lot of reflection on that. 
I love to to hear a, a leader, a, an educational leader, a community leader who endeavours to listen to their people, the people that they're in, intending to serve. And you're quite right, there is going to be an experience of pre-COVID life and post. And although will we ever get through it, over it, we'll develop a way to work with it. And you're right, I think things forever have changed. And that's not all bad. That has opened up new opportunities and, and new necessities to be flexible and to maybe for some of us actually think a little beyond the box that we used to work within. So uh, I'm I'm heartened to hear of your, the, the planning and the thinking and the, the forward thinking that you and your colleagues have done. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And I think for us, it was, it was semi-easy from the point of view as we asked our parents and we asked our kids. And a lot of these parents of primary school kids are, yeah, they're probably more late 20s, early 30s. Their careers are moving down that path. So we're trying to prepare these kids for jobs that their parents are more likely their parents are doing than we're doing. And our parents have just said, yeah, we love the flexibility. We love this and that. Um, and we had a lot of kids who actually did extremely well and exceeded our expectations um, in remote learning. And we have to make sure that we continue to harness and foster that enthusiasm for learning because that's the key. Mm-hmm. Enthusiasm for learning will take them where they need to go. Really appreciate it. We're speaking with Cameron Agars from the class of 1990, and I appreciate the wisdom and the insight and the empathy that you have for people and uh, and the wisdom and the experience and background that you bring to the decisions and the choices that you're making. And if nothing else, one of the big takeaways from me, and, and I just want to highlight it for any other leaders, leaders of self, leaders of family, leaders of industry, leaders of community, is to listen. And I think that's a, that's a really powerful takeaway. Listen to your people because they probably want to tell you. And uh, and I think that that's a, a helpful thing. Um, I wonder, Cameron, whether we might slide into what I like to call the lightning round, where I'm going to throw a whole lot of really short, sharp, and, and it might have a, a, a short answer, a, a one word, a whole sentence perhaps. Some of them you've actually already mentioned, but I'm going to kind of envelop all of these things in together. So put your seatbelt on. Are you ready to go? All right, let's go. Cameron Agars from the class of 1990. What house were you in at Yarra? Arnott. Were Arnott any good back in the day? Always. <laughs> yes, we were. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but if you had the choice between um, a full day of house swimming or a full day of house athletics, where would you choose to be? Athletics every day of the week. Is there a house musical, a performance, a drama maybe a whole school musical that you were either part of, you were, whether it be front and centre or maybe a tree in the background, or maybe you were in the audience that, that you remember as, as a standout? Not really. Performing arts wasn't my thing. I loved the performing arts. I remember the Rock of Steadfords, but I wasn't part of them, no. Very quite happy to be front of stage on a sporting perspective, but not when it comes to performance. Fair enough. How did you travel to school back in your day? Two buses, so a bus from home to Ringwood Station and then the school bus from Ringwood Station to school. And and then back again home? Back again, yep, so four buses over a day. Whew, that's a that's a fair whack. Do you remember, who were the school captains back in your day? Penny Swan. Yes. Who's been on this podcast. She has. And I'm picturing, I cannot remember his name, sorry. Stephen? Stephen. Power. There you go. That's it. I can picture him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good, good, good. Tell me what would have been in your lunchbox? What's a regular feature of your lunchbox when you're a a secondary school kid at Yarra Valley Grammar? Money for the tuck shop. (laughs) (laughs) And what was the go-to at the tuck shop? It's interesting as I talk to different people from different eras, there are certain things that seem to have stood the test of time. Meat pie and a strawberry donut. Strawberry donut. So an ice donut. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> with or without it's sprinkles? Without. Yeah, I'm, I'm without as well. My kids yeah. love it with the sprinkles, but no, not Some. for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I imagine it was soon after you left Yarra, but what was your first car? A gold Holden Gemini. Gemini? So still remember, paid $4,000 for it, and I thought that was a fortune. And it was a little gold Holden Gemini, and it had black rearview mirrors. I can still picture it. 
<laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, once we can, do you have a destination, a travel destination? Because there is a, a, a notion that teachers, because they love to learn, they love to travel, they explore, and, and look, we do get some, some holiday time. Is there a destination, either one you've been to that you would recommend or one that you are aspiring to, to go and visit one day? Um, I've been lucky. My wife works for Flight Centre, so we've travelled a fair bit. Yes. And coming back, we've just come back from Florida last January, so took the kids to Disney World, and that was great. And I'm now planning to go back there in about three years' time for my 50th birthday because that coincides with Florida's Disney World 50th anniversary. So Wonderful. Um, we're heading to Florida in a couple of years' time. That's the, that's the next saving grace. Now, I've never travelled over there. I've never really experienced Disney in that way. But I imagine, and you being a, a, a debater, a speaker, somebody who can talk your way into a situation, I imagine that you might be able to find some synergy there and you might be a, a VIP, wouldn't you? I wouldn't mind giving it a chance. I'm sure my kids would be happy if I could <laughs> sort something out. So, Absolutely, absolutely. Is there a piece of work that you invested time and effort and energy or maybe you had to submit and then resubmit again and again, whether it be uh, some handwork that you did or, or a particular debate that you were part of? Is there a, a moment that comes to mind that you go, yeah, that was some of my best? Nothing jumps to mind. I suppose the further you go, I, did, I completed a master's in education a couple of years ago. For me, I was quite proud of that because I was also working full time. So to complete a master's thesis was probably the one thing. Heading back to Yarra, I was unfortunately that student that was really good with deadlines and planned about a day back from the deadline and then just worked 24 hours, get it done and be happy. So, But my master's, I had to change that. So Yes, yes. Having having gone through a similar experience of working full time and and studying for years and years and years and 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 earning a master's, it uh, it does take a different le level of organisation and and determination. Yes, it was something I I had to finish and wanted to finish. So yeah, absolutely. If uh, if you invited me round to your place for dinner and you were in charge of the menu and in fact you were the chef, what would you serve up? What's a go to meal that you like to prepare? The go-to, and this having a seven-year-old and eleven-year-old who are fussy eaters, the go-to is a standard chicken parma nice. um, with barbecue sauce. Though that's the the kicker there. Um, lots of veggies and a, a potato potato mix. So um, yeah, so you, you tend to work with your um, with the kids and what they want. Maybe if I had a bit more freedom, maybe a spicy ravioli matriciana and a glass of red wine. Very nice. And take me out of the equation because I've just rudely invited myself, but I'm not going to come anymore. But you have the opportunity to invite two or three guests from any era, any time in history, whether they be sport, politics, um, actors, authors. Who would be two or three people you'd love to sit down and have dinner with? First one's easy, Michael Jordan. So that, that's a, a really simple one. The, the second one, and I've, I've thought about this a f little bit actually, and this is actually the person that I can either blame or congratulate for getting me where I am now, and that's actually the principal of the primary school where I very first started. Great. Um, he was really good, and he actually said to me, um, and this is something I suppose that I just remember, um, he goes, I don't care what you've done, but I care what I think you can do. And that statement for me was like, wow, I may not have the experience of certain people or I may not have that but he believes I've got the capability to do it. And so for me, that was, you know, I suppose to, to pick someone who's at the, the pinnacle of sport and considered the greatest basketball of all time, but then someone also who can see that potential and how to work with that. And so I, I do a lot of work with graduate teachers. And I think going back that I spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what could this person do, not what have they done? Because tenure doesn't necessarily define who you'll be. Mm. Um, so for me, that's really, really important. So, yeah. And we're going to have Michael Jordan and, and this former primary school principal coming to your place. Are you still going to serve your chicken parma? Um, why not? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Maybe just I'll upgrade the glass of red wine to a Grange or something, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just still go with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I think you were um, mentioning something along these lines before, but do you have a a ritual or a routine or a rhythm, maybe a, an early morning routine that, that helps you to be at your best? 
Um, for me, my mornings, and this is, again, interesting with kids, I get up quarter to six, six o'clock, and my routine is always coffee and couch for 20 minutes. But when you've got kids who can hear you sneaking past their bedrooms, that's changing now. Um, but, yeah, so I suppose for me it's just half an hour of a morning. I did it this morning thinking about this, um, this little chat. And just having that opportunity to think, okay, what's the day presenting? What have I got? What do I need to do? Um, how much caffeine can I get in the next half an hour? And get my brain working. I like to, so I suppose, finish off a day knowing, okay, that day is complete. Then you start the next one, okay, what do I have planned? I know what my schedule looks like between now and six o'clock tonight before I leave here. But that's because this morning I sat down and went, okay, I've got to do this. And so I've got to be here. Um, and then I've got to be there at this time, and then I've got to move to this. So it's, I suppose, just getting up early and having 20 minutes, half an hour by myself. Mm. I think uh, in the busyness and the hustle bustle that most of us have experienced maybe for, for for years and years, I think some silence, some stillness, just some some quiet time on the couch is is a great thing to plant in your day somewhere. I think it's really, really important. I, I, I think that's terrific. Being in education, I wonder if there's a, a, a book or a, a talk or a, um, a documentary that you think would be good value, worth listening to, worth watching, worth uh, whether that be for young parents or whether it be for the students themselves. In terms of my reading, I, I tend to read a lot of autobiographies. Um, for me, and it's anything from, I suppose, a sporting autobiography to Barack Obama um, and everything in between, just being able to, um, I suppose, reflect on other people's journeys and see what they've done. Um, I've just finished Jared Ruffhead's um, book and being a Hawthorne supporter, I, was, I bought it because of that. But just to hear how he overcame some of the challenges um, that he went through, and that was really interesting. So I do read a lot of autobiographies because I like to... I don't read the fantasy, my mind doesn't go down that path, but to know what people have done, how they've done it, what they thought, know that these people who come across as highly paid, highly educated um, athletes, they also have troubles, they also have things that they've overcome. So for me, that's really important. I listen to podcasts, there's a lot of educational podcasts out there um, that I've, I've sort of listened to. Um, so Kenneth Robinson was an interesting one. He just ended from an um, educational perspective and looking at where education's going. Mm. Um, haven't listened to anything of his for a while, but yeah, you can always you can always find something there. Um, and there's a, a number of other ones that we sort of you follow up and you do, and it's really important to to reflect on what other people are saying and then how that fits with your context. But also then you know, not following blindly, but creating your own path from that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I wonder if you recall, if I offer this phrase to you, whether you can recall what it means, and that is lavavi oculus, that is our school motto. Does it resonate? I'm probably going to pronounce one, lift up thy eye, thy, uh, lift up your eyes. Yeah, lift up <laughs> your eyes, that'll do, that'll do. Um, and tell me, what does it mean? I think for me it was about be open to possibilities, um, be open to what might um, might come forward, what might not be right in front of you. Um, sometimes you do have to work for an objective. Again, if you have an objective, you know, and you said, and maybe you've got to take three or four zigzags to get to where you want to be, but to have an open mind, to have op to open your eyes to the possibilities, um, the input of others, as we said before, the importance of listening and taking those things into account uh, are vital in create, helping to create your own journey and then to, to lead that journey for others as well. Mm. If things go really well for you in the next five years, are you still Mr. Agar's principal or are you doing something else? Where, where, what are you going to be doing and, or maybe what have you done within the next five years? I've actually thought about this a lot too, actually. I can't see myself being out of education um, but, and I suppose right now, I've, again, having an open mind, I certainly see myself as a principal in a larger school, but you've always got your eyes open for possibilities. But I think whatever that happens to be, it will be in the people field, the education field. Um, and yeah, so I, I'll still be in education, still be in, in learning, ongoing learning. But yeah, where it is right now, I'd say principal of a school, but you never know your luck. Mm. 
So. I, I'm certain that one of the driving forces will be that you will be doing something that's intended to help other people, and and that seems to be what drives you, and that's the the underlying force that's within you, and that's a beautiful thing. I have only one more question, and you've been really generous with your time, and and we appreciate that. Uh, in the midst of the busyness of your day, and that is, is there a question that you hoped that I would have asked you that that you really wanted me to ask and if there is what is that question and then answer that question please um probably not a question as such but I guess the thing that I wanted to um unravel and I've had chats with Rosie about this as well and, and different people is that um don't close your mind to possibilities sometimes if you have an objective as to where you want to go and as we've said before you know, sometimes you can go via Mildura to get to Shepparton, but that doesn't make it wrong. It just means it's been a long journey. Um, so for people, you know, whether it be year seven kids coming in or year 12 kids going out, um, don't pin your hopes on where you think you want to be, but just be open to the possibilities because, yeah, I never coming out of Yarra at year 12 thought I'd be here, but I'm so glad I am. But I think having that vision there. So I guess I did want to unravel the idea that, you know, be open, be open to your possibilities and don't think that if you don't get that score you want or you, you know, COVID's hit your marks or this has happened or that's happened, um, there's a lot of things that can that can go right um, in our lives and it's about that determination to get where it is and, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the thing I wanted to explore. I really appreciate that and I wonder whether if we were... Um and I think the answer could be both, but do you think that's more important for current students to hear or parents of current students to hear? Both. Yes. Um, and look, knowing, I mean, my my mum was great when I was in year 12. It was about do what you want to do, but do something. Um, that I, was, I wasn't allowed to sit on the couch. But I think for students, sometimes you put so much pressure on yourself. And sometimes, you know, it's year nine. You don't need to know what you'll be doing when you're 29. Um, but have an objective and have a path. But then also for parents to say, if my child is working to where they want to be, um, support them and help them, but don't push them to where, where I wanted to be. Um, and that's obviously very true in sport, but it's true in everything. Um, one thing I've learned with two kids, a little boy and a little girl, they've come from the same parents, but they are very, very different. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so look, they said that well, kids will go where they want to go. And I, I love hearing now some of my first students are, well, they're in 30s, they're in their 30s. Um, and yeah, they, they've done things I couldn't have even imagined. So that's I right, think the, the right. students of Yarra will be the same. And, and it's true. And, and on the, the library of episodes of, of this very conversation, the Inspired by Yarra podcast, we've heard stories where there have been young people who have decided they knew what they wanted to do and they worked really hard toward it. And then there are others who have taken a much more windy path, but they've both, not necessarily in the same direction, not necessarily with the same outcome, but they've both enjoyed the ride. And and I think that's the critical part is that we take a moment to maybe relax on the destination and just enjoy the journey. And uh, and I think that's what you're saying is is be open, be flexible, be adaptable. And, and, you know, your role now, you can be, you can be responsive as well as being a bit of a visionary. But I think it's it's critical that we are where we are right here and right now and, and do the best we can, show up the best we can today. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting. I did some studies and um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People begin with the end in mind. For me, that's always important. Where do I want to be? Mm. But don't plan the path. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll get there. If you know where you want to be, you'll get there. But as I said, you can you can get the Shepherd and Vimaldura if you want to. <laughs> Cameron Agars from the class of 1990, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for your storytelling and your reflection. Thanks for the thinking that you've done on the couch, perhaps, in the lead-up to today. I really appreciate some of your insights and uh, and your perspective on not only your own journey, but also as you continue to invest into the, the lives of young uh, children, but also their families and, and the whole community that you are leading. Um, it sounds like a wonderful place to be. And so I acknowledge and appreciate your uh, having been inspired by Yarra, but also your impact not only on this community, but on other communities as you continue to serve and lead and guide along the way. So for your time, your effort, your patience, your journey, your story, we say thank you. Thanks, Paul. We really appreciate it. 
Well, there you have it. What a guy. Wouldn't you love to be part of that school community? Or back in the day, earlier in his career, a student in one of his classes. What a thoughtful, caring, gentle soul. But in the midst of that, very considerate, a visionary, a listener, somebody who is leading his community in a really gentle and confident way into what is a relatively uncertain future. And yet I think with leaders like Cameron Agars involved in community and leading people, I think we're in good hands. I really enjoyed this conversation, his thoughtfulness, his reflection, his appreciation of the challenges, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of his experience and how they have shaped his way of being a dad and his way of being a leader and his way of being in schools. I just, I liked it. Just in case you have forgotten briefly, Cameron mentioned the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Yes, indeed. It's a good prayer, something for each of us to find the serenity and the calm, but also the courage and the wisdom. It takes all of that to show up as our best. And I hope that's what you can do as you reflect on the stories and the adventures that we share in the Inspired by Yarra podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And and if you got something out of this, if you feel encouraged, if you feel warmed by the conversation, if you think others that you know, whether they are part of the Yog community, the current Yarra Valley Grammar School community, or somebody who's just interested in listening to good people have a yak, then share it, pass it on, tell others about it. Because the more who know about the Inspired by Yarra podcast, the more people we can help, the more people we can support. And like Cameron said, his life, really, his career, his influence is all about trying to help others. And we'd love your help in sharing the message. So please tell somebody else, pass it on, give us a rating and a review. And that all helps for to, to, to let more people find us here at the Inspired by Yarra podcast. My name's Paul Joy. And on behalf of everybody, there's a team of people who work tirelessly of to put these episodes together. You know, we, we've featured heavily. We've got some staff from Yarra Valley Grammar, some students from Yarra Valley Grammar who have contributed particularly to the music, and also Yogs, Yarra Old Grammarians, who work behind the scenes to help put these episodes together. On their behalf, and on behalf of everybody at Yarra, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there Whatever the challenge, whatever the obstacle, whatever the adventure that is in store for you today, go out there with intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you.